0: Hi, guys and gals. Welcome to another episode of the Man Talks podcast, where we're dedicated to building better men through conversation, connection,
1: and community. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. We talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com.
0: Guys, this episode is an awesome one. Uh, Connor and I got an opportunity to interview Dan Ariely. Uh, If you've never heard of Dan, first of all, just... Google Dan Ariely, and the first thing that pop up is a whole bunch of his amazing TED talks. Uh, he's a behavioral economist and has just re- re- just written a new book called Payoff: The Hidden Logic That Shapes Our Motivations. I think what you're going to learn in this episode is that motivation isn't as straightforward as we all expected. Uh, it's a lot more um, a, a lot more complex, but in in understanding it, you can you can then understand how to uh, get a little bit more of it in your life. Um, super awesome conversation we just had, and I hope you enjoy let 's bring on Dan Ariely. Do, on See, Hi Dan. Thank you so much for joining us on the man talks podcast my pleasure nice to be here excellent uh, before we get started and we 're so excited to to dig into uh, to what you're you 're up to these days. can you share with us a defining moment in your life
2: yeah, so you know there, there are quite a few um i was i was badly injured i mean there's all kinds of uh, defining moments uh, getting to a peak on, of a mountain uh, on the himalayas but but maybe kind of professionally when i was a student i had a theory of how epilepsy uh, developed and, and how how uh, some some kind of stage of epilepsy was developed and i had a theory and my professor helped me figure out how to do an experiment with rats to see whether the theory was right or wrong and for weeks, I would operate on rats and I would implant catheter in the spinal cord and I would inject all kinds of materials and I would try to figure out if it works or doesn't work and whether my theory was correct. And after months of work, it turned out my theory was wrong, that I I was just wrong. The the results show that whatever I thought was going on was not really going on. And it was nevertheless uh, incredibly joyful. And, And it wasn't joyful because it's fun to be wrong. It was joyful because I got an answer uh, to something that that was interesting for me, and being right or wrong didn't matter. I just kind of felt I learned something new, and from that moment on, I kind of fell in love with the experimental method. I fell in love with the idea that if you have a question about lots of things, you could you could set up an experiment, and you can try to figure out if you're if you're right and wrong, and what really. Uh, works. And and since then, I think that's basically what I do. I do it professionally. I do it personally. I try to set up experiments all the time. And, you know, I'm wrong from time to time, and that's, that's okay. It's the joy of finding the answer rather than uh, about being right.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, And, and that... Dovetails perfectly in, into uh, what we'd love to talk to about uh, with you today, and, th- and that is, you know, you, you're coming off your best-selling hit, Predictably Irrational, and your and your new book, Payoff, is based on uh, a TED Talk that you gave in October 2012. And that TED Talk asked a question, that, and that was what makes us feel good about our work. Uh, the TED Talk's almost had five million views on on TED.com. It's it's an incredible talk. I definitely recommend all all the guys and girls in our, in our community go out and watch it, but what was it that inspired you to give that talk what was the question that you were uh, i mean what was it that that made, led you to ask that question and and what were you trying to uh, to solve
2: yeah so, so you know um this is this sounds like uh, extra uh, self-centered of me but lots of things that i become interested in come from my own observation about my own life and trying to understand uh the things i do and in terms of human motivation you know when i when i look at my own my own life I find that I do. I spend lots of time uh, willingly on things that we will not define as pleasurable. So, you know, writing a book. You know, there, there's no there are no moments in writing a book that you burst out laughing, that you're just full full of joy. Every moment of of writing, you could say I could have more fun uh, sitting on a beach somewhere, or you know, doing doing something else. Um, but more extreme than that, I get lots of people with uh, injuries write me because because i was injured and because i i wrote about it in in a very well, personal way people with injuries write me and i i have discussions with them about the future and what they could do and how they could find meaning and purpose and happiness and so on and, and the thing about these discussions is that they are never pleasurable in, in the in the standard sense they are never joyful sometimes they're sad they're often sad sometimes i cry usually after i try not to cry in the middle of these discussions but you wouldn't describe them as joyful uh, discussions. And, and nevertheless, I find myself drawn to them. And, and if you think about your own life or almost everything we do, there are very few things that we're drawn towards on, on a long timescale that is we would define as pleasurable, like we would define that we have the right to pursue happiness, that this is happiness. And I started wondering, what are we driven towards? And, and my personal conclusion was that we're not driven toward just happiness. We're driven toward something like a sense of meaning and accomplishment and proving ourselves. Think about something like a marathon. If you if you were an alien and you came down and you watched a marathon, what, what would you think? You would think these people who are running this thing um, have done something terrible to society, and society is now punishing them. And I don't know why society is punishing them this badly because... They're truly suffering, like, you know, their facial expression, the pain that they're experiencing. And we just hope that society would forgive them after they finish (laughs) with this, with this punishment. But, you know, people train for marathons and they, and they think about it and it defines them and it it helps, it creates all kinds of things for us. And, and I think that when we think about the purpose of life and we think about happiness, we, we often think about happiness in, in the wrong way. And, and my, my real, kind of quest is is to think about what makes us happy. And I think motivation is part of it. But what makes us happy in a deep way? And are we confusing sometimes short-term happiness with meaningful long-term long-term happiness? So that's that's the first part. And then the second part is to say, okay, now that we understand some things about what we're trying to achieve, how do we build it into our lives? How do we how do we build it into our uh, motivation? Um, because imagine two workplaces, one of them doesn't do enough to motivate people and one of them doesn't. And let's say they pay people the same. The, the place that helps people find their motivation, find a, a sense of purpose and meaning and contribution and uh, improvement and so on, uh, people are happier and probably more productive. Everybody wins. The place that has, uh, doesn't invest in those, in those things, people are less happy and they're less productive and the business uh, loses. So, so motivation is one of those places where everybody can win. We would be much happier if we we're motivated, and wh- whatever project we're working on would be much better if we're motivating, so motivated so how do we how do we get the most out of this
1: mm. yeah, i think this is I think this is great, and this is something that you know I, I hear and I see a lot of people curious about like how do we, how do we create and design our lives in such a way that we have more? motivation to do and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish, but also to usually what it boils down to is to be the type of people who are satisfied and fulfilled by our day-to-day lives. So I'm, I'm curious if you can point us in the direction or point our listeners in the direction of how do we cultivate um, a life with more motivation sort of intrinsically built into it?
2: Yeah. So of course, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy uh, to do and there's not one, uh, one simple simple thing to do. But, but the moment you understand that motivation is about the long term and not the short term, you should shift your attention toward what are the things that would make you, make you happy or, you know, satisfied. So there's a term called um, deathbed regret. And you can think about happiness from the perspective of today. Like what would make me happy today? And what would make us happy today is probably, you know, Um, having a nice lunch and maybe a glass of wine with it and maybe watch uh, some YouTube and spend some time on Facebook. But if you think about deathbed regret, um, I don't think that at our deathbed you would say, oh, um, I I really uh, feel like my life is fulfilled because I got to spend enough time on Facebook and and YouTube uh, to make it a a fulfilled life. Now, not everything should be aimed towards minimizing deathbed regret and and maybe the perspective of, you know, let's say living until 80 and and looking back at life is is not the only one, but we should look at what would make us happy, not at the end of the day, but at the end of the month, the end of the year, the end of the decade, and kind of think about more long-term long term perspective. And if you say, look, uh, spending a bit more time today, I don't know, inbox zero, spending more time today trying to answer all your emails, like, you know nobody on their deathbed will ever say you know there's a seven hundred and twenty five days that I managed to get to inbox zero uh, in my life so 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 creating changing our priorities to think about our priorities more in terms of long term thinking and, and short term thinking and then that's the first thing and then and then the second thing is build it into your schedule so if you say look at the end of the year, I would be really happy if I made progress on this project, on this book. I improved on X, Y, and Z. Um, how do you bake it into your schedule so you end up actually doing it? For example, a very good trick is to figure out what you're trying to strive toward and make sure that you do some of it on a daily basis. So uh, we are, it turns out that we are most productive in the first few hours of the day. If you work up, wake up at seven, you get to the office at eight. Most likely, it's like eight to ten that are your good productive hours. How do you uh, make sure that those hours are spent on something uh, useful? Um, do you basically um, limit yourself and say, I don't open Facebook or email or anything else before I spend half an hour on this big project or? And um, Do I do this while I exercise? But basically, baking things into your schedule so that they are uh, becoming part of your routine.
0: D- Dan, you know, I love all this, and and you know I'm, when I'm thinking about um, motivation of the individual, I'm also thinking about how do I motivate. Uh, you know, people that I'm perhaps responsible for in my, in my job, in my career. How do we get, uh, get those people motivated? Okay. So
2: again, there's lots of tricks. Like if you think about kind of the motivation equation and you write motivation on the left side and then you say equal, like what, what, it, what feeds into it? So of course, you know, the, the simplest thing is to say, pay, right? You pay people. Uh, it it's actually ends up being much more complex because we, 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 find out that there are ways to pay people that increase motivation. There are ways to pay people to decrease their motivation. But let's, let's leave money out of the equation for now and say what else would, would motivate people. So credit. Credit is incredible. And um, compliments, and um, sense of achievement, a sense of contribution. You know, we, we treat credit uh, like, th- you tell me, how many compliments and how much credit do you give people? My my sense is that we we treat credit as if it costs us money every time we say something nice to people and or we give people credit as if like there's a limited amount of credit in the world and if we give it to other people it would disappear. But, but if you get people to say you know what this thing that we've created you, you have it it's you right? This is, this is you, we'll put your name on it, we'll, we'll tell you that, uh, thank you. I mean, all, all of those things are incredibly important. So, so credit is, is one of those things. And, and credit is not just credit after the fact, um, it's also a sense of the fact that it's your creation. So, so we've done all kinds of experiments on what we now call the IKEA effect. And, and of course, you know the, the IKEA uh, furniture, right not particularly well constructed by by any means um, and and we find that the instructions are not really written <laughs> in a very clear way for somebody like me i i make lots of mistakes i i don't put it up in the right way it takes it takes a while but but i also find that every piece of ikea furniture i have i have a kind of a, a relationship with it right i i go into the family room and i look at the chest of drawers and i i look at it twice remembering that me and this chest of draw had spent an afternoon together trying to struggle with the, with the instruction. And, and what we show in many experiments is that as people invest more of themselves into something, they end up valuing it to a higher degree. So when you say, okay, let's work on something together, let's, I don't know what, design a new lamp, the more you allow people to contribute more, contribute ideas, be part of it, the more it becomes part of their identity and the, the higher they will evaluate it. So, so in essence, you're saying, how do you take something that you're working on as a group and, and make everybody in the group feel that it's theirs? That creates tremendous amount of, of motivation.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know, motivation is a lot more complex than maybe we had previously thought. Um, just from hearing you sort of unpack the, you know, the the pieces that go into motivation and, and the pieces that are, I think there's a lot of a lot of components that maybe most people haven't thought about. So
2: it, it is. I also want to say something else. It is. There's money. Much more things in it, right? If you if you look at the kind of things that people do, it's incredible, right? Like you say, how are some people willing to be firefighters? Right? How are some people willing to risk their lives to, to run into buildings to help other people? Right? It's, just, it's just the sense of contribution to others is, is incredible. Um, by the way, we, we, this, was, this is not a study, but I, I talked to some people and I said, look, imagine that you have a project that you have to finish. And you know that you'll have to stay in the office until 2 a.m. to finish it. How likely are you to stay in the office until 2 a.m. versus to basically miss the deadline? And then I said, what about another scenario in which somebody on your team has a deadline? And if, if they stay until 2 o'clock, they'll finish it. And if they don't, they don't. And you can stay with them and, and help them out. Turns out people are more likely to stay for a friend than for themselves.
1: Mm.
2: Right, which tells you that if you create the right social atmosphere within a company where people feel obligated and accountable to each other, it has more benefits than if people are just committed to the work themselves.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think this is interesting because it's almost like different depths of motivation, right? If you're just in it for yourself, there might be a certain level of motivation that's there. But if it's, if it's bigger than you, if you're motivated by, you know, being of contribution to other people, then you're more likely to have that intrinsic motivation, whether it's social pressure or whether it's wanting to contribute to other people. So, so it sounds like some of the key is really to find something that you are driven by that contributes to other people. That sounds like that's a big, big component to motivation. Absolutely. Mm, nice, and how big is how, how important is something like trust within motivation because I think that a lot of times you know people sort of have blind trust that things will just work out and that they just keep trucking forward, but so I'm kind of curious how, how trust fits into this into this sort of web
2: yeah so, so you know we use the word trust in all kinds all kinds of ways uh, there's of course confidence right and overconfidence which is which is part of it, right? You can say it's trust in yourself that you can that you can do it, and you'll be able to overcome challenges. And I think that's 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 very very important. Uh, so you know, if you if you work in a company and you have the, the belief that despite all the challenges, things could could work out, then then you, people are willing to invest a lot. If you don't think it would it would work out, it's very hard to be to be motivated. So, so we want to know that the, our labor will have an outcome. Think about what it means, right? So let's say I say you have a job, you have a contract for three years, but, and you know, you're not going to get fired. You have a contract for, for three years. And in one case, you're working on a project that it's unclear if it will be successful or not, but the work is the same. Another project you're kind of confident that at the end of the three years, the product will be out there in the market. Now, you don't make a different amount. Your work is not different and so on. But if you know that you're working towards something that would bear, kind of come to bear, the motivation is very different. Or even think about this podcast. What if we knew that we're talking on this podcast and when we finish, it's going to be erased forever? Right, like it will never be. It will never be out. How how motivated would you be to to think about it, edit it, uh, post it, and, and and so on? If you know that nobody would ever listen to it, it's like goes to a dark hole. So so having an outcome to to what we do that is something going to be in the real world that could influence somebody else is incredibly incredibly crucial.
0: Dan, how does your sense of uh, mortality impact your your motivation? I mean, you just mentioned that you know this this podcast might disappear one day but the reality is that you know we're going to disappear one day how how does how does that factor into uh
2: yeah so so the last chapter of uh, payoff is is one where i kind of spend a little bit of time thinking about uh, mortality and you know of course if people believe in the afterlife or reincarnation and so on there are different there are different things um but but it turns out that even for the people who believe that when they die they die And and that's it. There is something about mortality that that helps us think in a very clear way about what is really important for us and and not. Uh, So, for example, uh, people really hate the idea, even the people who think that the moment they die, they die, they hate the idea that everything about them will be erased. Like, why would anybody care about what people would think about them after they end up dying? But it ends up that it's important to us. Um, and in fact, people do all kinds of crazy stuff with their wills. Um, there, there was one guy that his wife throughout his whole life hated the fact that he smoked cigars. So he basically, in his will, he left her an amount of money every year on the condition that on the day of his death, she would smoke a cigar, <laughs> you know, trying to basically get her to punish her uh, forever for something that she did did to him. Like, And if you think about kind of settling deals. Or there are quite a few people who, let's say you're a parent and you have a relationship with one kid that is going well and a relationship with another kid that has not gone so well. You can try and fix the relationship while you're still alive. But many people either try to fix the relationship or express their dissatisfaction after they die using, using their will. Again, why would you care but people, people do care. Something about our legacy, I think, uh, comes, comes to, to mind in a very clear way. And it just tells you something about these strange motivations we, we have. Because if you think you're just gone, why do you care what people think about you? Why do you care about settling accounts? Why, all of this should, should be uh, irrelevant, but it's still very, very relevant.
0: And Dan, what, what, when, when you're writing this book and you're, you're doing your, your research, what was the one thing that surprised you the most about motivation? What jumped out at you as, I, I never would have expected that? So
2: maybe two things. The first one is how easy it is to kill motivation, right? So we, we can think about what builds motivation, but we can also think about what eliminates it. Um, and the second thing is how people don't understand how important motivation is. So so I'll describe to you one experiment. Um, In this experiment, we gave people a sheet of paper with random letters. And we say uh, there are 12 pairs of uh, letters that are identical next to each other. Please find those 12 pairs and circle it. And when you finish, come back to me and show me the sheet of paper. And if you want, I'll give you another sheet of paper to work on, another one, another one, another one. Um, but, But for every sheet of paper, we paid them a little bit less. So uh, in one experiment, we gave them $0.30 for the first sheet of paper and 28 for the next one and 26 for the next one. So every time they got $0.02 less. And the question is, when will people stop? Okay. And we had three conditions, like three variations of this. One one was exactly as I described to you. People get the sheet of paper. They write their name on it. They hand it to the experimenter who sits on on the table. The experimenter kind of looks at the sheet of paper, scans it from top to bottom, not really counting that they found 12 uh, pairs, but looking at it generally, puts it um, face down on a big pile of papers and says, aha, and then says, would you like to get the next sheet of paper for two cents less? That's condition one. Condition two, they do the same thing, but they don't write their names. And the research assistant who runs the experiment doesn't scan the piece of paper. They just take it from their hands, put it face down on a big pile, Papers and says, Do you want the next sheet for two cents less? Condition three, they give them, they, they get the piece of paper, and instead of putting it face down on a big pile of paper, they just put it through a shredder directly and say, Do you want the next sheet of paper for two cents less? Now, just to be clear, in the last two conditions, and particularly in the shredder condition, people realize very quickly they don't have to find all 12 pairs, they could just find three. And, and work longer, and get paid more, and, 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 and do it faster. Uh, but people don't. People don't cheat in this way. Uh, what they do is they stop much faster. So in the condition that we call the acknowledge condition, in which you look at the sheet of paper from top to bottom, and you say, aha, uh-huh, people work longer for lower pay. And in the condition where you shred the piece of paper, uh, they stop very quickly. And now you can ask, what, what about the condition in which people just ignore? They don't shred it, but they just ignore it. They don't look at it. They don't say, aha. Uh-huh. And it has to be somewhere in the middle, right? But we're in the middle. Is it closer to the acknowledge condition or is it closer to the shredder condition? And it turns out it's really, really close to the shredder condition. Which means that, you know, if you really want to demotivate the people who work with you, you know, get a shredder and, and start working this way. <laughs> but, but simply, But simply by not acknowledging the effort people put in, you get almost all the way there. And if you think about how common it is that we don't acknowledge things, it is really quite, quite shocking, right? It, it is as if, it's as if we, we, we want to be in the, in the shredder condition or, or close to it a lot of the time. Of, of course, I don't really think that we want to be there, but, but we act way too much, uh, in, in ways that don't uh, acknowledge and appreciate people's, Efforts.
1: Mm, yeah I mean <clears throat> this sounds like some of the work uh, you know within relationships and human dynamics around appreciative inquiry and how important it is to show appreciation to your partner or in your friendships so that's it's it's an interesting correlation between yeah, appreciation and motivation so I, I appreciate you bringing that up and also I'm, I'm curious do you recommend for people so for all of our listeners out there do you recommend they maybe take a look at at the pieces of their life, or the things that actually demotivate them, so that they can have a better understanding of what actually motivates them—is that something that that you th- would find beneficial?
2: Yeah, I think that that's probably the easiest, the easiest place to start is, mm. is probably to uh, say, "Let let me look at the places that are that I'm unwittingly demotivating other people, and the places in my own life where things are demotivating me." Because, you know, just recognizing those and eliminating them is probably the easiest step. Like building motivation is important, right? But, but just, let's just eliminate the negative things to start with.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, I appreciate all of your, all your insight on the motivation. We're, we're going to have to start uh, wrapping up. So we're going to roll into the rapid fire now, if you're okay with that. You're all set for, for some rapid fire questions? Let's try. <laughs> okay, cool. They're not—they're not particularly hard. They're just a lot of fun. Um, all right. So, what is your favorite part about being a man?
2: Wow, that you think that's easy?
1: <laughs> Maybe they, get, how, easier. they how, get easier. They
2: get easier. How about this? Uh, I get—I get to be uh, simple-minded and uh, able to blame my gender for for my mistakes i say oh, you know i'm just a simple man that's 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 all i can handle i don't i don't need to live up to the standard of women
0: <laughs> love that that's great love that what is your biggest challenge about being a man i think i think the biggest challenge i think the biggest challenge for me in in in
2: modern society is that the rules for behaviors are are very unclear for for men i think that there's a and if we're we're experiencing a, a change in uh, gender role uh and I, I think you know women have their own challenges with this but uh, for men i think it's it's tough to figure out um uh, what what is expected from us in society how much how much should we uh live to you know behavioral standards from twenty years ago how much should we uh live to the ones that are encouraged today uh, to what extent are the standards that are promoted in society the, the right ones uh, the ones that people truly want to adhere to so i think it's it's confusing
1: mm, that's great um in your opinion who is the most influential person of all time
2: it was probably um the, the invention of penicillin maybe hmm. uh, so nice. so that's um Either, either that, or the discovery that washing hands is a really good thing to do. One of those.
0: <laughs> Love that, um, D- Dan. What What do you think is the most underrated trait for modern day success? Perseverance.
2: Mm, I think that's a good that one. the the notion of just kind of just working hard, uh, I think we we pay a lot of uh, you know truly creativity deserves a lot of it. And spark. I mean, we should we should respect that, but there are many more good ideas uh, out there. And kind of just working hard, I think, is not as
1: doesn't give in enough credit. Nice. Um, what's one thing that you th- that you believe everyone should experience? And um, I I think, uh, okay, if if everybody could experience
2: something at some point. Uh, it, it would probably be something like magic mushrooms, <laughs> um, as, as a way to, you know, uh, truly think very carefully about uh, our role in life, uh, what works well, what doesn't work well. That that would be my recommendation. I haven't tried it, of course, myself, but just from reading about it.
0: Uh, and Dan, if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only bring one book with you to, to keep you to keep you busy, what would be that one book?
2: Maybe Feynman's lectures, um, mostly because um, every time I tried, I, I couldn't understand everything. So it would probably give me years of uh, attempts to try and understand what's going on there.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And then the final question, uh, what would you want your legacy to be?
2: I, I would like my legacy to be about trying to encourage people to look more carefully at their own lives. Try to figure out what we do right and wrong, and try to use kind of the experimental method to figure out what can we do better.
0: Awesome. And, and what's one thing uh, that you're most excited about these days that you'd want the listeners to know about? Obviously, the book is out. Where can people pick up the book? Uh,
2: everywhere online. Uh, but, but Perfect. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm mostly excited about these days. I, I see social science and behavioral economics moving into uh, the policy realm. You know, We'll see what happens in the U.S. We had an office for behavioral economics. We'll see if it will continue or not. But in other parts of the world, governments are starting to embrace the, the understanding that people are not perfectly rational and that we need to, to think more broadly about human uh, motivation, interest, incentives, and so on. And this idea that we could start designing uh, the world in a way that is more compatible with our natural skills and tendencies, is incredibly uh, very exciting
0: that's that's awesome! I love that, and we can't can't wait to see what else you're going to be doing in this field. Um, it, it's it's an incredible book, guys. It's called Payoff: The Hidden Logic That Shapes Our Motivations. It's it's one of the TED books, which is really exciting as well. It's not a very long read; it's a great uh, quick read, which I think will also help the motivation of some people that don't uh, don't don't do as much reading as they should be. Um, so definitely go check it out. Uh, it, it is incredible, guys. If you want to learn more about Man you can go to ManTalks.com, where we have all sorts of podcasts, blog posts. Lots of amazing new articles up there and information, all of our events. Dan, Ariely, thank you so much for being on the show. We truly appreciate it. And guys, thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another interview as we build better men through conversation, connection, and community together.